And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts. But with very different sets of experiences. I've been in the anti-fraud space for well over a decade, working with hundreds of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. Prior to several years ago, I was a cyber criminal. I committed several different types of crimes online, ended up on the United States Most Wanted list, went to prison. And since that point, I've turned my life around and focused now on protecting people against the type of person that I used to be. Well, hi, Brett. How are you uh, hanging in there? You know, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I've seen The Shining now 85 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time. (laughs) Um, Is that movie supposed to be a comedy? You know what? (laughs) It is to me. I think that says a lot about your personality. I'll just let that stay there. <laughs> you know, seriously though, I, I'm doing pretty good. I had, uh, I was on the phone the other day with Thomas O'Malley and Thomas says, you know, Brett, uh, I imagine that this is not that bad for you, this lockdown. And you know, he was right. He was completely right. Cause it turns out that serving seven years in federal prison in a six by nine cell, a lockdown like this is nothing. I have a yard, a house, TV, video games, books, games, food, everything else. I'm good to go. <laughs> but there's the boredom factor. And I know boredom. that you've had to cancel a lot of speaking gigs this year. And that's been a pretty big financial hit. Well, it's it's taken quite the hit. Uh, boredom, I have been combating boredom by working on a novel, working on the memoir. I'm launching at least two new podcasts in the next few weeks. So yeah, I'm, I'm staying as busy as possible. That's one of the things you see when in with prison. And I've kind of adopted that, that busy mentality of prison. When you're in prison, you find things to keep you occupied. And that's what I'm doing right now with the new podcast I'm launching, with the novel I'm working on, everything else. The free webinars, all that stuff. What about you? How's things going over there? Um, good. I mean, have a lot to be grateful for. We're in um, a much better situation than a lot of people. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I've been working from home for the last five and a half years. So that wasn't an adjustment for me. Right, right. Um, it has been an adjustment to have, you know, a, um, my husband essentially be my coworker on the other side <laughs> of the house. Um, that's, but I mean, I, fortunately I chose a great partner. So we, we get along well and we're good at, you know, saying like, Hey, I just need a little time or whatever it is. Um, and my almost 16 year old daughter isn't super happy about not seeing her friends for about six weeks and that's hard, but, um, thanks to technology, I mean, it could be so much better or so much worse. Um, it is so much better without that or with it. So let me Um, ask you something. Yeah. What kind of snacks are you eating? Um, <laughs> you don't even know, like this wasn't a setup. Like, honestly, I have never bought hostess cupcakes yes! in my life <laughs> until the last few weeks. I like, I don't really eat a lot of processed food. I think you know that like I'm, I'm a vegetarian that sometimes eats fish. Like I eat a lot of vegetables in my life and yeah, I've kind of gone down the processed food. Well, a little there, bit more. there was a reason that I asked. Okay. I, I read this article that said that people are now 
shying away from quinoa and kale and all that, and they're going for ruffles and Oreos and Twinkies. And I sat there and it occurred to me that I can understand that. I'm doing the exact same thing because when the shit hits the fan, we don't care about that. We just want to be happy. And nothing makes me happier than Pringles and Cheetos and Twinkies. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually had kale and quinoa for dinner last night. So oh, that's like, I, <laughs> I, I know people call it rabbit food burp. I don't know. That was just, that was my choice. I mean, I made it for myself. Um, so it's not that I've totally gone off the wayside. And I think there are some scientific reasons for that. I mean, as far as like cortisol and stress, it makes us want to, you know, eat bad. And then it's like this continual cycle. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But I do have more sugar in the house than I usually do. You well, you, um, and times. I do buy, you know, I do buy Cheetos and Pringles for the other people in my house who right. are very excited because I don't usually oh, do yeah. that either. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the New York Times had an article and I, I read it on another news source, I think Forbes or something like that. And then the New York Times commented on it and they had this, it was an editorial and they had this comment about, well, it's, it's, we, we believe it's because uh, people are trying to buy items of food that uh, last longer, the shelf life is longer. And I sat there going, no, it's because if someone thinks they're going to die, they don't want to end eating kale and quinoa. They want to end with a <laughs> ruffles in their mouth. <laughs> Unless your name is Carice, apparently. <laughs> but I'm convinced that I'm not going to die, so maybe that's part of it. That's it, you see? You're, you, <laughs> you think there's going to be an aftermath. I think that maybe we can end up living like Mad Max. I know, you've been saying that this whole time. I have a little bit more of, my, my glasses are slightly rose-colored, just a tiny See, that thing. is rose-colored to me. Not a lot, but just a tiny bit. <laughs> but I do believe that there is hope for life after Corona. It might be different. It it will be different, but um, I believe eventually that'll happen. Um, and I have to say, I really feel so fortunate because, you know, there are so many people who are still working on the front lines, um, some by choice, some by sense of duty, and some out of necessity. And for them, I am extremely grateful and make a point to go out of my way to say thank you to the UPS man. Um, oh, yeah. My I, I go to the grocery store and I make sure I tell the people there, hey, I, I yep. really appreciate everything you're doing. I really Me do. too. And I think that's super important. Um, and, you know, we're, we're playing our part, but our part is fairly easy in the grand scheme of things. Um, the other thing, honestly, that is keeping me very, very busy is um, being a support person for um, e-commerce merchants. I, it's my favorite part of my job in quotation marks. Um, I, you know, work hard for my clients so that I can dedicate a few hours every week to work with um, merchants uh, kind of unofficially, uh, not in a paid consultative role, um, to be a sounding board, to provide introductions, to host um, merchant collaboration calls, uh, all, anything I can do to help I'll be launching a um, job board soon for people in this industry as well on LinkedIn. Um, so doing whatever I can to help merchants uh, get information they need, keep updated on the latest chargeback guidelines coming out from the card brands regarding COVID-19, um, just all the things. Um, and that's kept me really busy, but also given me a sense of purpose. Sweet. And um, yeah, it's also very sobering. I mean, usually whenever something happens and i think i said this before like it's geographical this is across the entire world and in that sense there are also 
a lot of e-commerce is not being affected in the same ways across the board. You know, it really depends on what type of company a person works for. So I've, you know, had a few people reach out and say, Hey, I was, I was laid off. I'm looking for positions. You know, there have had other people reach out and say, we are so busy. We need to add people. I've had other people that are just like, Oh my gosh, all we have is chargebacks right now. We're just trying to shovel them you know, uh, over the fence to the processor and get as much money as we can. Like everybody's at a different spectrum. Sure. So that, um, that's kept me very busy as well. So that being said, I mean, what are you seeing all these merchants that you're talking to? What, what are you seeing that they're encountering because of Corona, because of all these other things that are going on right now? You know, the majority of things aren't as much about what I would call hostile fraud as what the industry calls friendly fraud. Mm. Um, so a couple things, I mean, obviously travel and ticketing has just been hit probably the most. Um, they're having to decide, do we provide full refunds? Do we provide store credit for future trips? Um, how do we enforce that through the chargeback system? All of that stuff. And, and it's had to require really fast thinking and being nimble. Um, we've got retailers who, provide essential items who are seeing um, or just consumables in general, everything from toiletries and, um, you know, everything from printer toner, toiletries, uh, clothes, shoes, all kinds of stuff, who are starting to see a lot of chargebacks coming in from people who used their credit card and were fine, but it almost looks like they intentionally did it. So maybe ah. they ordered something for under $100 and then as soon as it arrived, they called their bank and said, hey, um, this wasn't what I thought I ordered. Is there, um, is there a specific type or, or category of items that's being hit harder than not with that fraud or not? You know, that's a good question. I don't feel like I've talked to enough merchants to have the right answer. Okay. Um, but I would say just consumables in general. Um, they're also seeing a lot of people ship to other addresses. Sure. Um, and that's great, but especially with, you know, more rudimentary <clears throat> systems that are, you know, have been out for several years, you know, 10 years or more. Um, they're not able to them billing and shipping, not matching is a huge high risk. And sure. so that's causing a lot more manual review and, and what they're finding though. And what one merchant said, who's pretty large, um, and provides uh, consumables and um, like toiletries or that kind of thing. So that they're able to look back and see that a lot of the people who are making purchases for others are um, previous or they're customers of theirs. So the fact that they thought of their website, you know, to provide a gift to someone um, isn't too surprising. Um, so that helps with approving as many orders because the other problem is so many retailers have seen their traffic just plummet, especially yeah, if it's not yeah. essential or well, if they're, you know, if they're in the luggage industry, oh my right. gosh, you know. Well, that was one of the luggage. questions that I, that I had was, you know, uh, so we had, uh, over, it was mentioned yesterday, over an 8% drop in retail sales. So these merchants are hurting. Does that, are, are you seeing that because they're hurting, because they need those sales, that they are, being a little lax on security so that maybe those items that are being ordered to alternate addresses are going through a little bit easier than they used to. It really depends on the company. Um, so I would say that report was 8.7% across all retail. Right. That includes grocery stores and gas stations and, and things that are very essential. Um, 
this e-commerce, I would imagine, is much, much higher. Um, there are other sites that obviously are, you know, having a boom. So it, it varies, but, um, and some that would probably be surprising to people, but um, at least that were surprising to me, it really varies. So there are some, I've been saying recently that on webinars and things, I've done a couple webinars for the CMP virtual summit recently. And I've been saying that coronavirus is really, um, or, you know, really the after effects of the coronavirus or the, you know, symptoms of it um, are kind of the best and worst pressure test for merchants, fraud prevention systems and, and processes. Um, so it really depends. Those that have real-time machine learning and, and that uh, have someone in charge that you know, has some fraud knowledge and strategy and focuses on reducing false positives are, are sitting okay. There are other um, systems that are creating a lot more false positives. So I actually have had, you know, in my own experience as a consumer where a company, you know, I didn't, I know what they thought was risky, but I really don't think that it was, you know, that risky to cancel the order and not let sure. me reorder it. But, you know, they're being more cautious about fraud because they know that um, they may be, you know, targets for that. Okay. Um, but then there are other people who, a lot of it, when they're being more lax, it comes from the top. It comes from the executives who don't really understand fraud, don't really get why it's important. They see it as an impediment to sales. And they're like, I don't really care. You know, and so the fraud manager may be screaming and saying, we're going to be getting a lot more chargebacks. And they're going to say, I don't care. I just need that top line of sales to be higher right now. So um, let me ask so you this. Really um, let me ask you this as well. And, and you had mentioned more instances of this friendly type of fraud that's going on. Um, mm -hmm. and, and by the time this, this, this episode airs, I think that this company will have plugged the, the massive hole that's out there right now. And I mentioned that because it's, it's, it's on every, it's on Reddit. Yeah. It's on Facebook. It's on a, it's on discord. It's on telegram. It's yep. on the dark web forums. This, that, and I, there's no other way to say it. it's target that the, the ad reads and it's, it's uniform across the way that they can pro that these refunding groups can process a refund up to $20,000 in product. You just place the order. You can even do an in-store pickup, go pick up your $20,000 worth of product then you send an order into this refunder. They charge you 20% and they get the refund to you in under 24 hours. And that's so my, not chargebacks. And I mean, I think we have to not. like segment this up much, right? A sure. lot, right? Because there's the people who are claiming they didn't, that are going through the chargeback process, going through their bank just to try to retain as much money as they can because they can't end up paying for that item that they really needed. Right. Um, then there are the people who are intentionally and either way, it's not good, but there's different reasons behind it. There are the other people who are intentionally paying a refunder to sure. go through the customer service process to get all their money back. Either way, at the end of the day, it's a huge financial loss Absolutely. to online companies, but they are different in some way. The way that you reduce both of those things are are different. I've seen the exact same uh ads as well. Um, and I, I have, um, you know, notified the people that I know there. Um, I haven't heard back, but I'm sure they're very busy. And, and you know, um, the thing is, is once, once you see it on Reddit, it's short lived at that point. 
Hmm. I mean, if the company doesn't do something about it, when it makes it to Reddit and Facebook, something's wrong. And you mean that because that means that it's hitting a much wider audience? Oh, yeah. It's, it's uh, so, you know, before it was on uh, Dread, it was on Discord, on and Telegram. Those are like criminal stuff. I mean, more or less. Right. They're, right. Cri- basic they're criminal that, communities. But right. when it reaches, uh, so the, the subreddit that it was on on Reddit, was the um, there's two there's two interesting subreddits. One is the illegal pro life tips, and one is the unethical pro life tips. And it was on both of those. This this. Why are was, they called pro life tips? I'm. <laughs> is it because that's code for something? It's just uh, so it, I don't know why it's called pro life, but it's uh, it's tips on how to break the law or how to uh, do th- things unethically that <laughs> can make you money and advance you in life, so to speak. Um, so, so a different it, version of pro-life than, than what, right. uh, Americans are. Using. And, and each one of these to give you an idea. So, so the unethical life, um, subreddit has about a million five members. Wow. And then the, the illegal life I think has 300,000, 500,000, something like that. Um, so when you, when you post something like that to one of those groups, and a lot of these tips and everything are, are very rudimentary tips, but something like this, where you're saying, Hey, this is the amount that you can do. And, Especially when so many people yeah. are in need right now. Yeah. You've got 22 million Americans out of work today. Right. Right. So um, I, I would imagine that that type of fraud, at least for that specific uh, company, that store would be very short lived at this point. Um, I don't know. So. I mean that, or the company's going to be short. I mean, I don't want to yeah, say like, you're right. It's just, there's one or the other. I mean, it's, um, I started seeing those posts on Telegram several weeks ago when we interviewed Jay, like four weeks ago. And that was when I sent it to that team. Um, I, you know, the challenges, I mean, there's a lot of challenges, right? Especially now, but from the company perspective. Um, But yeah, it's, that's scary and awful. And I would say that, especially once people get a taste of that, then they're going to want to, even if Target does shut that down, right, then they're going to try to go to other companies. And there are other companies on that list. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. What um, I was going to ask, I mean, at first I was thinking, well, I was going to ask you, well, why are they even posting those? Because, um, you know, why, why would they be posting those if uh, they're not making any money out of it. And then I realized, no, they are making, like the person oh, yeah. is making money out of it because oh, yeah. they're the one offering the refunding. Exactly. Service. Exactly. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, right. that's the entire thing is, is right. they get 20% if you can. And, and, you know, it's not, geez, I mean, it's not like the old MacBook where you're, you're, and I say old MacBook, that's $2,700, right. So you're getting 560 out of that. But this thing is, you know, you're getting for each, per, each customer you have that wants a refund, you're getting, anywhere from two grand to four grand on that. So right. 10 to $20,000 in order. Assuming that they max it out to the 20 Assuming that. And you know, at that point, if, if you're sure, I'm going to tell you the way it works. If you're sure that you're going to get that refund, you, you scrape all the money you've got and mm. you, you get the biggest order you can possibly get, or you do enough small orders until you're able to get the big order. And you wow. go like that. Oh and yeah. The way it works. You can, right. Well, and these services wouldn't be so brave and bold in posting it in these huge forums if they didn't feel like they could guarantee their services. And right. that's, that's what's scary. Right. And, um, and, you know, just to remind everyone, like we are saying, 
the company's name because it's kind of all over the place right now with, you know, cyber criminals and, and honestly on surface web stuff as well. Um, but this is happening to other companies. It will continue to help happen to other companies. And it's important to be looking at every area that someone can take advantage of your company. It's Absolutely. not always with credit card fraud. And I think that, you know, we as an industry have done a really good job at, reducing credit card fraud with technology and everything else, but you cannot assess someone's intentions when no. they walk onto your website. Now, no. have I had significant success on reducing friendly fraud as a whole for multiple companies? Absolutely. But that's where on the analysis piece and looking at it like that, you can't look at one specific order and say, oh, that's going to become a chargeback or that person's going to call in and say they didn't get it or whatever the script is for this and we're going to lose the money and the item. You can't do that on a one-to-one -one basis like you can a fraud transaction. Now, can you look at overall behaviors and trends and make changes on the front end so that that behavior doesn't continue. Absolutely. And that's been, you know, one of my favorite things to do in my career and with my clients, but, um, on this target or any other company can't look and be like, Oh, they're probably working with a refunder because to your point, And I'm glad that you, you know, did talk to Jay about this the next day. Cause I was really confused, but I, you know, felt like he had authority that they're using their own method of payment. You know, each person who places the order is yeah. using their own method of payment. And um, so they are assuming that they're trusting the refunder that they can do what they say. And most of the times they can. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, my concern, is this this for for specifically these platforms? And I, I mentioned Target, but Walmart's got a platform similar. Uh, Best Buy's got that. Uh, the, these these third party sellers that come in and can list their items for sale on the on the platform. The Target allows that, and this refund, the refunders specifically mention that hey, it doesn't matter whether it's a Target specific item or it's one of these third party sellers that have that. So my concern is you take one of these these smaller merchants that's listing their items on this platform. What does that, how does that affect their profit when one of these refunders comes in and says, hey, this $20,000, these four laptops that I ordered from this one merchant, you know, I, I want my money back on that. Um, does that mean that Target has to reimburse that or does Target feed that on to the merchant that is actually going to lose that? cost of that. Do you know the answer to that? You mean on the marketplace? On the marketplace. Yeah. yeah. So it depends on the company. Um, I've worked with several marketplaces. Um, I, it depends on their agreement. Um, so for instance, I worked with a major marketplace when they first started accepting payments uh, directly. So it used to be PayPal to PayPal between the buyer and seller. And then it was, um, you know, being a payment facilitator and, uh, processing the transactions themselves. And I worked with them extensively on uh, chargeback um, prevention before they even accepted a single order um, on their payment process and, or through their payment processor. And the way that they did it was they would represent the chargeback um, and, and try to win it. And sometimes they'd have to contact the seller to say, Hey, can we, did you have emails offline or something like that with them that we can provide in the documentation, et cetera. Um, and then if they lost, they would pass that on to the seller. The problem yeah. is 
Um, there's a lot of sellers that will sell for a few weeks and then mysteriously go away and their sure. bank account doesn't have any money in it and now you can't debit them. So that happens a lot. There's also a lot of um, situations where there will be a lot of complaints from the seller not wanting to do that. Other marketplaces require the seller to um, dispute the transaction. It really depends on how the merchant has set up their marketplace um, how they've been able to, um, like how their payment process works and if they're taking full liability or not. Right. And that's, you know, that's one of the things I wanted to point out is if you are, cause you know, I, I've got a special place in my heart for these, these camera merchants out there. They, they operate on a 2% margin at best. And, you know, if they're listing their items on a marketplace like that and, and a marketplace is, is being hit with this, this degree of refund fraud and, and Target's not the only one that this happens with, mm-hmm. but, as a seller that's coming in, you need to be extremely careful and vigilant about what's happening on the overall marketplace as well. I mean, it's oh, yeah. uh, especially that's if you're operating that, on a low margin like that. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of companies that sell on marketplaces, they don't know to look at the verbiage on those contracts. They're just thinking about the new sales and new customers that that will open up. Yeah. Um, I will say from a just from a marketplace standpoint, they also are operating on extremely low margins because they're not the one, you know, they're just getting a tiny percentage, like usually three to 5% of the transaction um, just to be the middleman between the buyer and the seller. So they don't have a lot of wiggle room either. And so what happens for them is they, you know, authorize the transaction, they get their three to 5% or whatever it is. It really varies. Um, And then they, uh, and then if a chargeback comes through and that seller can't pay for it, then they're on the hook for the whole thing. Um, they're not on the hook for the whole um, product, but they are on the hook, you know, so it's, it's varies. Um, I also worked with another um, marketplace last year that uh, does a lot of, um, it's almost like a, almost like a version of eBay sort of. Um, so a lot of, you know, consumable items, a lot of clothes, a lot of other products, et cetera. Um, and in some cases they would just eat the charge back. Um, so it really just varies on, on the, on the marketplace. Okay. Gotcha. And you know, I, I, we're talking about this, of course the episode is supposed to be about romance fraud. <laughs> so I guess we need to get over to, <laughs> well, to love and loss. I was actually going to ask you if that made sense to, <laughs> if that's a weird transition or not, or if we should just keep going on this thread. Ah, and do you know what? Let's, 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 let's get into love, loss, and happiness. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds exciting. <laughs> I, I am not, I, um, a little funny that you put happiness after loss, but you know, I'm sure that that wasn't an accident. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Because, you know, if you're, the thing is, is that, you know, it's, and, and I, there's a lot of people out there that use dating sites. Um, I you met, met my, your wife through I a met dating site. I met my wife site. on a dating site. Yeah. That being said, a dating so should site. we talk about how you can meet, um, you know, felons, former felons on a dating Well, site? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's loaded with <laughs> with felons. It's loaded with catfish opportunities. It's loaded with, uh, it depends on the dating site you're going on. In your on. case, it was a great, you know, it was a great thing. Yeah. But I, I, kn- I am almost positive that her family was a little bit like, who did you meet on this dating site? At first, anyway. Now I know yeah. they love you, but. <laughs> first, which dating site you're on, all right? And the reason I say that is that will determine the type of scam or the type of problem a lot of the time that you're going to run into. For example, if you are on a sugar daddy site 
And by that, I mean, if you're one of these gentlemen that decides that you're going to, that you want a younger girl. And so you go to seeking arrangement. What type of scams are you going to run into as a gentleman on that? So as a gentleman, I use that term very loosely. <laughs> as, a, as a gentleman, you may, I'm sorry, you, it's not even may. You will run into a varying assortment of escorts. You will run into uh, catfish pictures of, of profiles who claim they're real people that are just trying to sell you pictures or trying to get you to send them Venmo, Zelle, some sort of uh, payment across the line without ever physically meeting you. If you are a uh, female and you sign on to the, one of these sites in the hopes of finding a quote unquote sugar daddy, you, you will invariably encounter a, an assortment of profiles that try to get your banking information, that try to get your personal information. Uh, I think that's pretty common across a, a wide assortment of, um, of different dating sites. Plenty of Fish is where I met my wife. Now Plenty of Fish is being used widely by an assortment of different types of prostitutes because the federal government passed this whole regulation about a year and a half ago that shut down Backpage.com. Uh, so a lot of those escorts and prostitutes migrated over to that platform. Um, so you see that, you see, um, you see the old school, and I guess that's what most of our conversation is going to be about today, is you see the old school romance scam of someone just simply goes online, they're looking for love, and somebody contacts them, and they build a relationship with them, and they convince that poor victim that they love them. And the idea is to get them to send money. Um, I think that's the classic romance scam. And I guess that should probably be the, the basis of most of the conversation today is that. Yeah. So one of the reasons why I suggested this topic is because, I mean, there haven't really been a lot of articles about it yet, but I can only imagine that this is going to come because these scams, like you said, are kind of a slow burn. So they take a while to build up before they're actually asking for the money. But my fear when I'm, you know, I'm often asked for a lot in a lot of different ways, you know, what my predictions are for coronavirus and how this is going to, you know, play out in a lot of different ways. And one of the scams I'm really worried about is romance scams. I mean, gosh, I'm in here, I'm in here, I'm in my house with my husband of, you know, we've been together I don't know, almost 14 years and then, you know, my teenager. So like, I'm not alone, but I still miss my friends and connection, human connection. If I was by myself, um, if I didn't have a longtime partner, um, of course I would, you know, this would be the time where you'd want to do that. And even if you're not thinking about this could be the end of the world as we know it. Um, even if you're not gloom and doom, like, like you can be sometimes, I mean, and honestly, let's face it. I know you're more of a realist than, you know, pessimist, <laughs> but there's a little bit of pessimism in there. We're not going to lie. A little bit, a um, little bit. You know, a touch, <laughs> maybe a, you know, pound or two. Um, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, no, so I, I think that, you know, I'm just really concerned about that. And I've even seen it. I was telling you this offline. Um, I have, you know, three of my, uh, three close friends of mine are, have been single um, and were single until about a week before quarantine happened. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, I met this awesome person and we're going to try quarantining is the new term. T-E-A, you know, so quarantine right. is T-E-A-M. I don't know if that's coming across um, to the 
you know, audio. Um, and one of my friends even drove a few states away to go live with this guy that she, I don't even know how she met him. I haven't had a chance to talk to her more than a few text messages. Um, so I think, you know, there's that, um, but they're fairly young and, and very attractive um, women and, and also, you know, outgoing. Um, there are a lot of people who, you know, who are also young and attractive, but maybe are more introverted and prefer to write with someone, you know, get to know them that way before there's um, a physical element. And um, I actually never got into internet dating because I, although we dated long distance for two years, I met my husband through mutual friends and um, we, I never had to because internet dating was just kind of starting up then. And so I'm consider myself lucky, but a lot of my friends have dated online with varying levels of success. Um, of those three friends, one friend as of yesterday actually, uh, has decided that this isn't the love of her life. Like she thought <laughs> three weeks ago and they are now taking an indefinite break. The other two, um, are pretty much cohabitating with this person that was a stranger over six weeks ago. Right. Um, and so that, yeah, <laughs> I, that makes me think, gosh, there's probably a lot of people online who just, you know, have lost their jobs. They don't have a lot of time or they, they have a lot of time on their hands. They don't have a lot to do as women to say, you know, when your options are Netflix, Facebook, or meeting a new person and getting those butterflies and, and having something to take your mind off of it. Um, of course that's going to happen. And, um, yeah, I think that the typical scams that we see are, um, you know, what we would maybe call social engineering. So they're, you know, the person who's posing as someone who's interested, it's going to take their time. They know that there's information out there about romance scams. They know that people are, are talking about it. And so they're trying to be like, oh no, I would, you know, oh man, you know, I heard one that said, um, I heard about one that, and I'm sure there's a lot more than one, but I heard one example where the fraudster or whatever we're calling the scammer um, said, oh, well, I'm so glad that you're real and legitimate because the last person I was talking to was actually a scam. And, you know, then all of a sudden you set your guard down, right? Like, oh, okay, well then they must not be a scam. Um, also, it should be worth noting that a lot of romance scams are starting to happen outside of dating sites as well. Um, so other social apps, um, even, you know, ones that are supposed to be for your neighborhood um, to, you know, post if your dog is lost, um, they are getting those. Like it, it's starting to branch out beyond just people who are specifically looking for love. Um, and what, as far as like the end goal, is it typically wiring money? Is it, you know, sometimes I know it's, you know, being a reshipping mule um, or, you know, laundering money, but is majority of the time, you know, wiring money, is that, the end game. It is. And, and here's the thing that I think a lot of people don't really understand or appreciate. Um, this, these scams, a lot of them tend to be the long game. So it's not, a lot of these scams, these romance scams are not scams that take place in a month. All right. They're scams that take place in a year, year and a half. And here's why. You take a scammer that's in Ghana, that's in Nigeria, that's in Egypt, that's in India. You take one of these scammers, this is their job, this is their career. If they can get, over the course of a year, if they can get you to send, the victim to send out, say, $10,000, that $10,000 is a year's salary in that country. So it's worth it to them to be carrying on this conversation for a year. And it's not just you they're carrying it on with. It's not just one victim, it's many victims. 
carrying it on with. So it's, and, and that's the purpose of, that, that's the way these scams work. It's, it's a long con, and the purpose of a long con, the reason that they work is it's all about building rapport. When I approach a victim, that victim is immediately, automatically, at the start of the conversation, that victim is on the opposite side than I am. We are on opposing sides. The purpose of a long con is to get that victim on my side, working together as a team, to get that victim to trust. It's building trust is what it is. Because you know, you talk, you work on the good guy side of things, right? With merchants, and it's all about merchants rely on trust. The customers have to trust the merchant. Without trust, everything falls apart. It's the exact same thing on the bad guy's side. Without trust, everything falls apart. You have to trust. You have to. So it's when you're scamming somebody, it's about getting that victim to trust you enough to give you, and it's typically one of four things. It's information, access, data, or cash. In the, in the instances of romance scams, it's cash. You have to get the victim to trust you enough to give cash, and there's no better way than to do that than to take your time. Uh, you're, you're, you're looking at a set of victims that are confined to one specific locale, to a pool, like a, like a lot of fish in a very small pool. Those victims are all looking for the exact same thing. They're looking for love, and there's no other powerful thing, more powerful thing in the world than love. What did I do for love? Hell, I made the United States most wanted list. I went to prison. I did everything else. My entire life was dedicated to how far would Brett Johnson go to love somebody. So, and, and, and I'm not alone. I went overboard, but I'm not alone in that. You've got a lot of people out there that just want to be loved. And it's not even, a lot of the time, it's not even that, that romantic love. It's just they want somebody in their life. They want a friend. So it's from a scammer's point of view, it's about befriending the person and then putting pressure on the person. And that pressure can be can come in any number of forms. Typically it's a form of, you know, uh, I need something. And that something can be, I've got a family member in the hospital. Um, I was in a wreck recently. I've got some sort of problem which only money can fix. So I would, as a scammer, mention that. I've got this problem. In the hopes that the victim would volunteer money. And, and the smarter scammers at that point They'll typically turn it down. No, I don't know. I don't want to ask that of you. It's wrong for me to do that. I don't want to do that. I love you. I don't want to do that. I know we're meant to be together. I would never ask you to do something like that. And you let it go and you continue to build that rapport and that trust level up. When you that first turn down, there's no better way to build trust than to turn down somebody that offers you money. So that initial turn down is bam, I've, I've sealed that trust level right there that will never falter from at least that level. So from there, you continue to build it until the victim offers again, you know, I can, I can help you with this. And at that point, it's like, you know, I don't know how I can pay you back, but I, I'll try my best. And you continue to milk money out of the victim from that point. And the victim, what's interesting about this is the victim, you have to realize that in a lot of instances, we live in a society today where we don't really have friends. Men, and there, I was reading an article, an article about that last month, a lot of middle-aged and older men don't have friends, but they're looking for friends, they're looking for love. So all of a sudden they've got this, this friend. The friend is in trouble. The friend needs cash to fix the problem. So the victim mentality pops in of, you know, if I don't, if I don't help this person, I may not, hell, I, I, I may lose them.
they may not be able to respond again. So you're, you're, you're motivated to keep the friendship by giving money. So that's the initial instance there. Then all of a sudden you start giving money and you, a lot of people think that it is a scam. A lot of these victims think it's a scam, but they've lied to themselves by so much of that point. And, and media and their friends and family have been talking to them. Only a, an idiot, only someone stupid would fall for something like this. Stupidity has nothing to do with it, nothing. Right. So that, that's, the, that's the thing though, is they're told that they're stupid. So the embarrassment comes in. Yeah. You know, I, they're embarrassed to talk about it with their friends or family. So they, they start distancing themselves from any family they've got. So the only person in their life then becomes the scammer. And they keep telling themselves, well, I've already given this much money, maybe just a little bit more and everything will work out. Until finally, I interviewed a, a, a gentleman, his mom, uh, I interviewed him for Anglerfish, but uh, his mom lost house, $20,000, $30,000. He now has to pay her rent, everything else. Uh, because of this, uh, it's, it's an insidious crime that preys on the emotions, the wants and needs of any human being. It has nothing to do with stupidity. stupidity. It just has to do with the way that humans are wired to want to be loved and to need to be with people. Yeah, the number one, you know, thing that all humans want and crave, it's a natural craving is, you know, human connection and acceptance and to be seen. Um, and if we don't have that, you know, closely in our lives, then we're going to look elsewhere. And that, yeah. that makes total sense. Um, I'm curious, though, and I've always kind of wondered this, and I don't know if you know the answer or not, but are these guys researching their victims at all? Because it seems like, I, I mean, I guess sometimes I'm like, how did that person get $60,000 to you know, send overseas. Um, and, and I know a lot of times they're mortgaging their house, but are they running credit checks on these people or are they just it, hoping that they, or is it more like fish in a barrel and they're just going to talk to a whole bunch and see which ones pan out? Like, how are they, is it more about, I guess, is it more about like, oh, I think this person is a sucker and they'll figure out a way to get the money or are they targeting people like, oh, they have a 700 credit score and own their house flat out. And so they'll be able to give me as much as possible. So I think that that, that does play a role, but I, <laughs> the, 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 sad, the sadness of it all is that someone goes onto a dating site in their profile, you can, you can, kind of tell by their pictures, by the, the, the profile themselves that they're building. And some sites even uh, ask for, you know, their, their net worth. So they, they match you with someone that's of like worths as well. So that's the initial thing is you're looking for profiles where obviously the person isn't dirt poor because then the only thing you may get is the social security check. All right. But when you start engaging in conversations with a victim, you know, you start talking and talk is cheap. Talk doesn't cost anything. It's a few emails, doesn't cost a, a scam or anything to send out. But over the course of a few emails, you know, what do you do for a living? You know, I'm, I, I work on an oil rig. I, I run an oil company mm. operations center. Uh, what do you do? Oh, you're retired? Well, what did you do? Oh, so, so you did pretty well in life. You know, it's just a, just basic cursory conversation where you're asking these questions enough to fill out if they have any money. But the, the sad thing is, is that a lot of these victims, they don't have a lot of money, all right? But when, you, when, you, when you're faced with, you only have one person in your life, and either that person has convinced you that they, they love you, 
that you're meant to be together or that person is has convinced you that they're the only friend you're ever going to have, you will do whatever you have to in order to keep that. A lot of people would anyway. Um, that's that's just one of these areas. I mean, there, there are other techniques that can be used. I mean, the, the scammer starts talking to you and then starts blackmailing you. So, you know, it's love and, love and happiness for a while until you stop sending money, then the scammer all of a sudden turns into blackmail mode. Maybe he's got some information on you or the scammer, I say he, it could be a she, but maybe the scammer has information on you or pictures of you that they've talked to you to send. They've, they've convinced you to send naked pictures of yourself, which is not uncommon. So they, they're blackmailing you all of a sudden. They're threatening to tell your friends, family, everything else of what you've done. I mean, are you, are you going to pay the, pay the blackmail money? A lot of people do. So it's, it's, it's any number of scare tactics, um, uh, emotional twists, any number of things that is designed to get the victim to send money over. And again, it's not, I really, I, I think that we as a, uh, as a society have to get past the point of blaming the victim and trying to say that only, you know, ignorant people uh, you have to be stupid to click on that phishing link. You have to be stupid to fall for a romance scam. No, 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 no. Stupidity has nothing to do with it. Unless we get past that type of verbiage, that victim mentality of keeping quiet, of blaming yourself, I think that'll continue. We, we have to move past that. I 100% agree. Um, I agree with that on all things, you know, merchant victims, consumer victims, victims of other crimes, um, they weren't the ones that made a choice to break the law and to victimize anyone. Um, I think it's important to know, I was actually surprised to read that this has really grown in the last few years. I guess for me, I kind of thought like, because I do work with so many merchants and I do know people on the dating side and, and know what they're doing to try to stop it. I think I was also this is silly, but like kind of thought like, oh, the gone are the days of the Nigerian prince. So, you know, people are probably wise to it. But in 2015, um, the FTC had 8,500 complaints um, about romance scams. Uh, just last year in 2019, there were over 25,000 scam uh, reports. Um, and those are just the people who report it. And the money is staggering too. So in 2015, the loss was 33 million total to romance scams. And last year um, combined, and this is just in the US, they lost $201 million. Um, so more, more than victims lost to fake lotteries and sweepstakes, imposter frauds, or tech support phishing. Um, Jeez. yeah, that was just in the New York times a, a couple weeks ago. Um, so that's pretty significant. Um, it is, it is. and another thing that was in this article that I actually thought was kind of interesting, worth noting. I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but I just don't know if I knew it before. Actually I did. But anyway, um, is that you're a lot of times when someone is corresponding with someone who is, um, initiating a romance scam of course the victim doesn't know that that's the intent um a lot of times they not only are the scammers messaging with a lot of different people which just makes my head hurt to even think of like how you can keep it all straight and read it you can only read about someone's cat for so long if you don't actually care about them like there's all those things but um it's also that usually it's um, several different scammers working in shifts. It's not just one specific person. It's, it's usually like an operation or, or you know, like a company uh, oversees a lot of times. No, I, I agree. And, and you know, I had the, uh, we mentioned it before the recording started. 
I had the opportunity to interview a couple of people, actually three people for the for the Anglerfish podcast about romance scams. It was uh, Colonel Brian Denny, Kathy Waters, and Jeff Hoffman. Uh, Brian Denny and Kathy Waters, they run a website called Advocating For You, the letter U.com. And Brian, the reason that they run the site, Brian, his picture, he's a, he's a colonel in the military. He's out of the military now, but his picture has been used on hundreds, hundreds of fake profiles by wow. romance scammers. Wow. Not just one scammer, but dozens. Dozens because if you're in the military, you can explain away why you're Absolutely. overseas. Absolutely. And he's not a bad looking guy. Right. So his, his profile has been used across hundreds of different profiles on Facebook right now. His, pro, his picture is used on, I think he told me there were over 60, 60 different uh, uh, Facebook accounts that use his picture right now. Um, Jeff Hoffman runs a site called pigbusters.net. He's been on the Dr. Phil show, all these other things, right? And uh, what he does is uh, he, he lists scammers. He's got 80,000 romance scammers listed on his site. People who have, who have been scammed, they, they come to his site and they post all the information they can find about the scammer. Um, the reason I mention that is, is what Jeff and Kathy were talking about is a lot of the time, and I, 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 in, in our conversation, I, I said the exact same thing I'm going to say now, is that fraud analysts do the best job they possibly can. Mm -hmm. All right. They, they certainly do. I have a lot of respect for the people who do, who handle fraud and on Facebook or on these dating sites. I, I talk to a lot of them. I'm going to be on a webinar for a, for some dating talk here in, I think next month. But um, the thing is, is that they can't handle everything. Not only that, but while the fraud analysts and the, the people who are handling fraud on these platforms, while they're trying to do the best job they can, uh, sometimes legal, pops in and disagrees with it and legal rules all and sometimes the the overall arc of the company goes against what some of these fraud people are, are trying to fight for and uh, what jeff was pointing out was this section 230 of the communications decency act which and he on on advocating for you there's a link to a change.org petition so you can sign to have this thing done away with but uh, while I think the Section 230 has some good parts to it, it also allows a lot of platforms to not have to police the content that's being put up there so that a group like a company like Facebook can, can get by with the illegal content being put on their site, whether that be stolen credit card data, uh, videos, uh, fake profiles designed to steal money from victims of romance schemes, like in the case of Brian Denning things like that. Um, I just wanted to, to mention that because, you know, you, you see victims and I, I had the, the opportunity to talk to Brian and Kathy for a couple hours and, um, you know, you hear their story and the, the problems that they've had trying to have profiles removed, like they would go and they would actually uh, send the profile names over, the links over to all these profiles and Facebook would sometimes remove the profiles, but never all of them. And sometimes there wouldn't be any response. And Facebook at one point says, you know, well, the problem is, is that, you know, the pictures that you're sending over, the, the criminals, they crop the pictures and everything else. And our, our recognition systems can't identify the pictures at that point. So that's how they're able to come up with new profiles. And, and Kathy goes off. Kathy's not a tech person at all. 
but Kathy goes off and tests it on her own. And it turns out that the excuses that they were given were not valid excuses. Um, so I think that it's a problem when, when you've got fraud people that are fighting the good fight and you've got legal and people above the management that are saying, nah, you know, don't worry about it as much. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree with that. I think there's also, you know, the issue of, you know, customer service agents that are at the lower uh, level and also, you know, the need for education. I I talk about this all the time, but I would love to see um, not just dating sites, but all, you know, sites that allow people to people conversations to really be proactive on providing, Hey, this is what this looks like. This is what I feel like that that would gain, you know, speaking of trust, like that would gain a lot of trust with users and that they would, there would be more people wanting to pay the subscription fees or looking at the ads. However, the company is um, compensated uh, if they felt safe and secure. There are a lot of people who will just end a membership on a dating site as soon as they feel like, Oh God, all these, I can't trust anyone on here. But you and I have also also know very well, I know firsthand that a lot of times leadership and legal don't want to admit that they know about a problem because right. that takes away their plausible deniability. Um, it's not something I, I like at all. It's something that really frustrates me, but it's, you know, I'd, I'd rather know the truth than, than not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do know that these companies are really trying. I mean, I'm seeing several of them attend the webinars and the merchant meetups that I'm hosting for CMP Virtual Summit. I'm seeing them engage and learn things, um, not just their fraud department, but customer service and other areas. Um, I know that they know it's a brand issue. Um, I, I know that it's a concern, but at the same time, content moderation is a form of abuse that usually gets handed on to the same team that's looking at fraud, payment fraud and chargebacks. And we had Kevin Lee on last year and he talked a lot about the need um, to have more of a trust and safety approach rather than just a fraud prevention approach. And um, I would say that, you know, they really are trying, but the problem is a lot of content moderation right now is all about keywords and the bad guys know that. So they're just going to, Oh, that word got me flagged. So I'm going to try something else. Um, That's probably honestly why that Reddit site is called pro-life because they think that, you know, at least the (laughs) algorithms aren't going to realize that they're talking about, you know, criminal, um, criminal, not enterprises, but you know, what they're, um, you know, activities. Sure. Um, so it's all about, you know, trying to beat the algorithm. Um, right. And you know what, uh, what really stuck out to me about, uh, about Brian and Kathy talking and uh, this, this is a word to the, uh, just kind of advice to merchants. And I think you'd probably agree with this is Brian said at one point that, you know, he was talking to these people, had them on the phone and they were the fraud analyst and you know, the fraud, fraud people get hit with this stuff all day long. And I know it gets tiresome and everything else, but Brian said, you know, they were talking to me and they sounded like they didn't even really care that this was going on. And what I would do is I would caution customer service. I would caution any forward front facing people out there that's talking to people, you know, just take a breath to understand that, that you're the contact person for the outside world at that point. And, you know, if, if you're coming off as, as not caring, as you know, you, because you've went through this 80 times with 80 different people in the last hour, that that one person that you're, that you're kind of just trying to rush through and, and because you've, you've heard it all before, 
that is the person that that really needs you to to be empathetic with them at that point. Um, so so just just consider that. I mean, it's you're the forward facing person at that point, and it's it's important to uh, to realize that the person that you're that's talking to you is a victim, and they're they're just trying to uh, to fix their life at that point. Yeah, and that's, I think, the real challenge with romance scams is that there isn't a way to recoup your money. You know, if your credit card is stolen, you can call your bank. And if it was stolen and used online, the merchant will pay you back. If it was stolen and used in person, the bank will pay you back. Um, there's a little bit of intricacy with that depending on EMV, et cetera. But sure. just for simplification purposes, that's... <laughs> I just don't want anyone to be like, uh, you were wrong. No, I know, but like, I'm just simplifying. Oh, I know, it. I know. This is it. I mean, I know that's oversimplified. I'm just, you know, yeah, that's not the point of the podcast. Um, <laughs> no one needs to fall asleep by Carice reciting all of the card brand regulations and guidelines right now. Um, it's bad enough that I have them all memorized. Um, but they, um, you know, when it's a credit card, there is some protection. And when there's a debit card, there is protection, despite what other quote unquote experts may say right. credit and debit. There are, you know, almost equal protections for. Consumers. I like, I, th I like that little dig you got in there. <laughs> it wasn't intentional. <laughs> I just was like, I just want to, we kind of went on a little bit of a rant last year about someone who has been telling consumers and they have a very big platform not to use debit cards because they aren't secure. And, and that's just not yeah, that. And that so got picked I'm, up by so much media and spread that lie. <laughs> oh, their advice. I thought you meant what we said. And I was no, like, no, yeah, their advice. I, exactly. So, you know, not that this will get picked up by all media, but we'll at least say it to, you know, <laughs> the universe and, and the, you know, the, honestly, you know, thousand plus people that listen to our podcast. Yeah. So, you know, we got a small footprint there. Um, but, you know, on cards. But they're the um, best even thousand people on the PayPal, internet. That's right. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> um in the world come on there you go um <laughs> but no i i think that um they uh yeah so if you're using you know or if you're using an alternative payment method like paypal for example there is some level of security that a consumer can have that if those credentials are stolen and and used nefariously that they can get their money back the problem is with romance scams that you know 201 million dollars that was lost right. by americans last That's year gone. isn't gonna there's no method of recuperation because there's no way to track it and law enforcement is so overworked and you know all the other things and they have so many other things on there but they really can't track all these down and especially without international authority there's right. not a lot they can do unless they can tie the same person or the same group to you know, multiple millions of dollars of losses, then maybe they can put some effort behind it. Um, it's a very broken system, but I think the absolute best thing to do is to encourage friends and families and, and to you yourself, if you're on the internet dating, like be ultra cautious. And, and I love the fact that you said that, you know, the first time, you know, they, they say they need money, they'll turn it down because I think that that's a hundred percent right. They want to make sure that someone feels extra confident because yeah. the first time they might send a little bit, but if they're like, Oh, they're not doing this to use me for money. They just legitimately are on hard times. Right. Right. They're going to send more. 
they're going to um, send and as someone who has an empathetic longer. heart yeah i feel i feel for those victims yeah and and you know we had talked we've talked about this uh the, the entire uh, just from the victim point um mm. for financial institutions for retail stores that are doing gift the gift cards. card thing oh, uh, yeah. stuff like that I, I recently had the opportunity to speak to tracy brown she's a, a, a body language expert and what she does is she gives speeches about, you know, uh, she started talking to uh, paycheck cashing services about fraudsters coming in and how the customer service should handle that. So you, mm. you, 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 it's kind of like you turn yourself into a human lie detector. So you, you start just with a base level, you know, just very rudimentary questions. It's nothing that's, that's, that's out of the way, nothing that's suspicious, but the, the customer service agent starts talking to that potential customer. You know, what are you doing? How's your day going? Uh, where are you heading? Stuff like that. And then as you're, as the conversation goes on, that, that lays a base level of trust, a kind of a baseline to which to gauge the, the other questions that you're going to start asking. And those other questions look like, well, what are you using the money for? How are you going to pay back the money? You know, stuff like that. And I think that, that if we, if we had training like that with customer service, you know, with, with, when you're selling a gift card, you know, you're, and a lot of times you, I understand you don't have enough time to do that, but if you could just engage with that customer, start asking some questions and, and it, a lot of the times they'll tell you, well, I'm sending it to this person, but, and, and then start getting an idea of whether the person that you're selling the gift card to is potentially a victim of fraud. Um, the same thing for a bank. If you, if you're, if you're a teller, I think the bank should be training the tellers, you know, Hey, have that conversation, take a few seconds out, just have that conversation. What are you using the money for? And then they, a lot of times they'll tell you, and then you can have that, that extra conversation. Well, you know, there's these romance scams that are going on and you really need to watch this. Now you can't stop somebody from buying it. But I think that if you could just engage, take your time a little bit more instead of with this rushed world that we have of getting people in and out the door. So the next customer can come in and make money. I think that uh, we'd be a much better position and things might be a lot better for this planet too. I couldn't agree more. And I love the sound of hope in your voice. It sounds so nice on you. It's like Brett. Aren't you singing Kumbaya? <laughs> I was like, wait a second. Does that mean that I have to be all like, oh, the world's going to end and it's awful and have like a gravelly voice. Like Brett. Oh my God. <laughs> Everyone's awful. And yeah, no one can be trusted. That's my Brett. That's my Brett Don't trust anyone. <laughs> I'll gargle with some shards of glass. That's exactly better. it. That's have exactly it. Have a better it. Brett impersonation next time. <laughs> but no, I, I just, you know, I, I never like to present a problem without a solution. And I agree with you that a solution is, you know, training the people on the front lines. I, I guess I'm curious to know, um, in your talks with her, was it mostly about in-person interactions because she's a body language expert well, or she, you know, I talk I, about the voice inflection? As no, well? no, we, we started because the initial conversation and I'll have that episode up in I think two to three weeks, but the, the initial conversation was about in-person. And because, you know, you and I do online stuff more more often than not. And I asked her, I was like, well, it sounds to me, I mean, you can, you can pretty much develop that same type of baseline if you're doing customer service on the phone. You just have to pay attention to the vocal inflections and what the, the customer on the other end is doing. And, and Tracy was talking about, you know, 
when we as as humans, when we're asked these very rudimentary questions, how's your day going? That level, that's that baseline. You know how that person's responding. You know their 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 inflections, their their rate of speech, everything mm -hmm. else. But when we start lying, we're put under pressure. And what happens is she explained it. I mean, she's written a book on it and everything else. She explained it that our thought process is about twelve hundred words a minute or a second, twelve hundred words a second. But our, our vocal pattern, our, the way we speak, can't keep up with that. So our, our thoughts are overflowing our mouths. So we start to do things like stutter, pause, use the wrong words, mm -hmm. all this other stuff, trying to make up at, for these lies that we're telling. So I think that, uh, I think she's absolutely right. I think this proper training, engaging more with the customer would, would really help a lot of these frauds that we're seeing. And, and it's not just romance frauds. If you look at just the social engineering that takes place on the call center itself. I rely, when I was committing crime, I would rely on the customer service agent mentally disconnecting from my call before I would start to try to manipulate that customer service agent. And I think that's a lot of the key is, is just to make sure you're engaged and vigilant, which is, is very mentally tiring when you're handling three to 400 phone calls a day. I mean, you, you get to the point where you're just looking for the next call, next call, next call. Um, but I think that we have to, either through more training, fewer hours, uh, more pay, we have to um, solidify that type of customer service uh, um, center that, that can more appropriately handle the types of calls of potential fraud and the victims that are maybe coming in there. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I became a human lie detector quite sure. a bit when I uh, was on the front lines on the merchant side. Um, especially as a manager, because I would only get the escalated cases. Um, and by the time I realized, you know, by the time I confirmed my suspicions that they were social engineering, I would just have fun and mess with them um, at that point and be like, oh, wow, that's really interesting that that happened, like whatever the situation was. Um, but I, I agree with that. The problem is that expertise within an e-commerce company is usually very limited to the fraud team or trust and safety. Um, you and I have talked about this on a, yeah. you know, so many episodes that customer service, whether it's in person in the stores, or I would argue it's more important in person in the stores with you know the amount of gift card fraud scams and, and other things that are happening. Um, but very much so with your online customer service as well, over the phone, over chat, et cetera. Just some baseline information about this is what these things look like. This is why it matters because a lot of times, you know, they're focused on pleasing the customer and customer service. And so they're trained to ignore their gut. You know, their gut doesn't matter. Their job is to please the customer and, and do what's needed. If that customer is asking for a lot of crazy things and they think, well, gosh, this seems really fishy they're trained to kind of ignore that because that's not their job or they don't know enough about it. What if you were to provide a one day training course to all of your customer service people and making it fun. And, and this is something that I've done for companies. It's something you, you know, do for companies as well. Like, or you can do it internally in your company, you know, pull some calls of what it looks, sounds like, like all the other things and really explain to them the why it's just like, in a way it's similar to how I parent my teenager. I know because she's my child that if I were just to say, don't do this, or you need to do this, she wouldn't do it. If I were to say, don't do this. And this is why, um, then she's going to listen to me. So I think that it's very important because 
more than ever because of the economy and how rapidly it went down, companies need to be saving every penny they can. And a huge way that they can save that is by offering just a little extra training to those front lines and reducing some of their losses. I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And I'm going to tell you, any listeners out there, there, as far as I know, there's not two better people on the planet to pick than to come in and do some of that training. <laughs> Especially since we're not traveling at all right now. We can just Zoom. Well, I've done that quite a bit. I've been doing some Zoom trainings for companies recently. You know, I'm living on Zoom. I don't know about you, but I am living on Zoom these days. <laughs> Me too. And yes, we are both aware and concerned about the security issues. However, we take every precaution. I mean, even on this call, we record it via Zoom and you have the waiting room set up and the password. Like we're, you know, for anyone that's concerned, I, I got a little bit of a chiding on LinkedIn because I talked about how I hosted 70 merchants on, you know, online merchants on a Zoom call right. the other day. Well, you know what? Uh, it's like, you know, <laughs> well, tell me what it's, what's better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Everybody that's complaining about Zoom, you give me a platform that works better than Zoom right now. And by God, I'll use it. But you know what? Skype doesn't. It doesn't. Well, and now Skype is Microsoft <laughs> Teams. And then, sure. you know, and we've, you, you and I have used a few different platforms and this is the best. And this is. yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it is what it is. I would, yeah. So I just, I felt like that might be coming. So I just thought that I, you know, say that we are taking every precaution we can. And sure. uh, we're, you know, also not advertising any of the call. You know, it's all very, um, invite only and all that stuff um and and honestly for those merchant meetups that I'm doing, there's gonna be five more well after hearing this there'll be four more um once this is out um and uh it's through cmp virtual summit um which you know pretty bummed i won't be in san francisco in may for the summit like i have been for the last five six years but right. um and you know you and i have so many like that's really where this friendship came out of but um you know we have to really look at, I actually am the one that and ends up, they, they do a precursor and then I end up doing a, a second view of um, looking at the list because of course people that are not actually, you know, merchants by definition, they don't work for companies that accept payments online. They work for vendors or they work for a company that doesn't exist and can't find it anywhere, which was definitely the case in a few cases this last week. We are, you know, really vetting that to make sure that trust is there as well. Um, but yeah, the Zoom thing, I mean, I get it, but honestly, every single site on the internet and every single service has risks. And yes. um, I mean, that's why we have this podcast. That's why, you know, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. Nothing, there's no company that I can think of that's perfect. No, I agree. Um, I agree completely. And, and Carice, you know, I hate to say it, but we are definitely... I figured we were. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's been fun to chat with you and uh, looking forward to talking about a lot more uh, in the coming weeks. Absolutely. And thank every listener out there for taking the time out of the day to listen to us bitch, moan, and complain and give good information. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I try to balance that out for the most part. You do. Part. <laughs> I, you know, I like to bitch a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go right, right now and watch The Shining for number 86 time. <laughs> I, you know, I just have to say, like, I am very grateful to all my clients that are keeping me very busy, but there are some days I haven't taken a day off in over three weeks because I had yeah. a lot of big projects that I actually just wrapped up. So I'm excited about that. And I'm starting to, you know, well, and, and you're doing a great job. And, you oh, know, with you. me, I've, 
I'm not working right now. I've got enough money in savings that, uh, that we're all right. I've lost, uh, as, as most Americans have, I've lost a lot of money because of coronavirus. I'm hopeful that the country opens up soon. I'm hoping it opens up in a safe way. But, uh, you know, we're getting by the, the best way we possibly can. And I think that right now, you know, I'm doing a lot of podcasts. I'm trying to get information out there. I'm doing a lot of free stuff as well. And uh, today I had a call with MIT. Um, I'm presenting with MIT on May 1st virtually. Hmm. Um, so I'm trying to do all this stuff and try, you know, even though I'm not getting paid, I'm doing as, as much as I can to help protect people from the type of person I used to be. And I know that you are working your ass off right now. And I know that's appreciated as well. <laughs> well, it's still there. Let's not, you know, but <laughs> yeah, no, I am. And I mean, I guess I'm just saying I, I am looking forward to a day when I can just sit and watch Netflix all day. Um, and if you do watch Netflix, weekend, we, yes. we went through the entire three seasons of Ozark oh. in four days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it is fantastic. I've watched the first few episodes and then I just couldn't get into it enough to like want to keep, but I've heard that from a lot of people. So I'll, um, I will put that on, on the list. Um, we also need to catch up on killing Eve and several. Oh other yeah. Homeland I watched the first episodes and, of that and that was great. Oh yeah. Well we're, yeah, we're behind. <laughs> we just watched the first season, but, um, yeah, my, I mean, my husband just launched a giant international project for his company. And so we've both just been slammed and, um, but, again, so, so grateful that we have things to do. And I'm grateful to be in an industry that's needed more than ever, especially with my chargeback knowledge, um, more than ever right now. But it's just, uh, yeah, I'm kind of jealous, honestly, that you have time to watch the same movie, you know, a bazillion times. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I'll get there. And at the same time, I, yeah, I'm, I would go absolutely insane if I didn't have people to help and, uh, you know, work to do. So, yeah, it all evens out, but That's I, it. we will, uh, yeah, look forward to chatting next week. All right, Carice, you have a fantastic day, and thank you again. Thanks, you too. Okay. That's it for our episode today. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you've learned a lot. You know, we've got so many more topics to cover to help protect you and your company from fraud, so please subscribe to the online broadcast to be alerted to when a new episode is out. And please tell your friends, rate and review wherever you can to help others find out about us as well. And we always love to hear from you, what you love so far about the podcast, how we can improve and what topics you want to hear us discuss. You can always find online broadcast on Facebook or find us individually on LinkedIn or also on our website, onlinefrogcast.com. Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant and stay secure. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.